I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to episode 149 of the world's first Paul Weller fan podcast. I'm Dan Jennings and 10 years ago, I gave up my live streaming career as a radio presenter with one big regret. Never getting to interview my hero, the legendary singer, songwriter and musician, Paul Weller. This podcast exists purely to solve that issue. Welcome to Desperately Seeking Paul. And on this episode of the podcast, I'm joined by another huge talent, a singer, songwriter, musician, producer, sound artist, Gwenar. She's another of those incredible talents to have entered Paul Weller's orbit. First as somebody whose music he has regularly recommended, and then as a remixer for one of his songs from On Sunset in 2020. Her own creations are things of beauty, sung in Cornish and or Welsh, hypnotic with gorgeous, enchanting melodies, a captivating blend of dreamy synth pop and those stunning, beautiful vocals that transport us listeners to otherworldly realms. I encourage you to check out her work today. It's a real sonic journey that immerses audiences in a unique and introspective musical experience. Fabulous stuff. Let's get into it. Gwenar, thanks for joining me. Thank you very much. This is going to be a cracker. Look, I'm really interested in you, your story, the music, the inspiration, your process. I mean, how are we going to fit all this in? I don't know. How you create and ultimately, most of all, these these remarkable sounds that you bring us on your albums, your songs, they're just beautiful. Thank you very much. It's very, very kind of you. Thank and you. every album is different every time, but unmistakably you. Yeah, I think, well, um, I make all my records with Reese Edwards, my husband, and we've made records now together for 10 years. Which is a really interesting process in itself because because we keep working together. The challenge is to find something new in that relationship in a way, creative relationship. And I suppose it's more, more it's similar to what it'd be like in a band in a way. So you've got to kind of spark each other off. I'm really proud of that because I think long lasting creative relationships are really interesting and important, actually, in terms of the longevity of them and the commitment to them as well. And as much as I love, you know, collaborating and buzzing around, I, I kind of always felt like that, even though I had quite clear ideas about the the sort of kind of solo records I wanted to make. It 
it's been really lovely to have a collaborator and I'm a, I'm a very collaborative artist, definitely. My wife would say the prospect of working with me day in, day out on anything, quite frankly, would be horrendous because I'm such a control freak. How, how, how do you make that dynamic work? Do you have the, do you have sign off and ultimate say because it's coming from your name when you put it out in the world or? Yeah, definitely. I think it's, I mean, we're both control freaks. <laughs> so <laughs> I think it's just finding your, your match in a way. Um, and the meticulousness of it as well. I think we're both like that in terms of terms of detail um, is very, very important to both of us. So it's been a sort of sanctuary in a way to find someone as obsessive as I am. Um, and in different areas of it as well, I think, because I think we do contribute different things and and also i think the dynamic constantly changes with 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 the albums i think because i've been doing a lot of remix work and i've been doing a lot more work remotely on my own electronically and i think that's contributed more and more to the records that we make together as well which has been exciting and thinking about the next album we're really really taking that process on board as being very much part of the next album and how we make it we'll talk about remix and the weller connections and um, we'll get into all that as well yeah and how we got to now how we got to your most recent album which is just incredible as well and this this music being so special so we'll weave all this in all these stories all the way through but let's kick off with this love of music because that's at the heart of it and growing up we're going to hear about your story and you know your your dad's cornish your mum's welsh and we can hear that the, the welsh in your beautiful accent as well but you were raised as bilingual so was music a thing in your household was it a thing when you were growing up my sister and i um, were raised in a bilingual household in the sense that it was a Welsh and Cornish speaking household so we didn't have any English at home and then a lot of music that we heard that that was played to us as children would have been Cornish, Breton, Irish Welsh mostly and music from further afield as well but not really anything from the Anglo-American canon which certainly when I got to become a teenager made me feel very very out of step because everyone else had the sort of the background of um, you know Motown for example a lot of 60s bands that would have influenced a lot on, on the Britpop era that I hadn't actually listened to or hadn't been around really. Um, wow, so you're discovering like the, I don't know, the Beatles and... Yeah, and it's just, it was, Diana and, I, and it's really hard time. to think, and it's talking about that in this era sounds insane because you can't, you can't control what your children consume really um, yes. anymore. But I think we were probably the last generation where, you know, my mum could stop us from watching English TV. She, you know, we could not have English radio on in the house. And really, apart from sneaking, you know, culture from other, you from friends or whatever or at school, like you, you, they had ultimate control. So there's the control freakness comes from probably. <laughs> um, but it's, yeah, so it was, a, it was a kind of an odd upbringing in a way in that sense. And so I always felt a sort of slightly distance to sort of just regular mainstream pop culture in a way. But then that helped, I suppose, I came at it quite excitedly then. And I ultimately joined, you know, an English indie pop band that was very much influenced by Motown and girl groups. I think from having uh, the background that I've had, I've always been interested in alternative histories in a way and I think particularly with the pipettes um, the band from Brighton that I joined you know the whole purpose of that band was to say well look what else was happening at the time everyone keeps going on about the Stones and the Beatles and all of that stuff but what what other music was happening and and certainly those girl groups were really really influential you know the Shangri-Las and all of those bands so it's helped I've sort of turned it into a positive rather than just feel like ah I'm so detached from culture so and for me I think as well when 
when you're raised in Wales in a in a Welsh speaking community in a way, even though I, I grew up in Cardiff, there's a lot of Welsh around outside of school as well. You do feel it's like you're slightly out of step with again sort of mainstream popular culture because you also have your own culture and 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 again you know i don't think that's particularly unique either because i think lots of people have different cultures at home mm. and then they are part of you know a, a bigger mainstream english speaking culture as well so it's always about what the importance of those languages and cultures are to you and where they fit and i think there are times when my Welsh and Cornish cultures are more important and they're more prominent in my life. And then there are times when English culture has been more prominent in my life and it depends where I am in my life and what I'm doing, I suppose. And how do you take that on now? I mean, you've got two children. You just had a, a, another baby very recently. How do you take that on as a parent? You know, what's your philosophy? Like in a well, world where they can, what, like you say, consume whatever they want at the touch of a button with an iPad? Yeah, well, I, my attitude with both my children, because I speak Cornish to both of them, and the reason I do it is because there's the Cornish language holds a lot of really, really positive, very warming, comforting memories for me as a language, because I remember it as the comforting element element in my childhood and I see it as a childhood language as well just because it's a language that I spoke I speak to with my dad so I've given it to them but I have no control of whether they want it or not and I just always felt like you know if I think as a parent and if you're able to do it and it's not always easy I think when you move countries and you are trying to integrate with a new country there are so many people that think well you know it's best to take the view that you just integrate and you forget about that old culture so everyone has their own way of doing it as a parent, but I definitely felt like, well, I've been given this thing and there's a little bit of like, I'm just going to give it to you. And if you don't want it, it doesn't matter. And also, well, if I've had to have it, you could, it's like a hot potato a little bit as well. It's like, well, if I've had to have it, you can have it as well. Whether you want it or not. Yeah. Yeah. But I, you know, again, there's, yeah. there's no pressure, but I think it helps them connect with their granddads and it helps them understand a part of their mum's life that has been really important and they've been a part of as well. Um, and that their dad's life as well really because we've been making everything together so it's always it's just about there's no reason not to pass it on and it and it, and it you know it only betters my cornish language skills anyway because i have to use it every day yeah 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 well and i love the connections of this and how you, how you talk about the importance of this throughout the albums and when, every time you release an album and things like that as well so we'll dig into some of those things but one of the things i wanted to ask you about was uh, and again this was about growing up because we've heard about paul weller on the podcast and red wedge and billy bragg and the politics and the activism in his lyrics benefits for, for minors and others. You also come from a really politicised background as well, don't you? Yeah, I mean, my mum's in the Socialist Street Choir and they've been going for 40 years. They they were actually on a record with Billy Bragg. Oh, brilliant, I didn't know ago. that. Yeah, they sang the Internationale with him and actually, I think my mum's chart position has been higher than mine. <laughs> <laughs> so, she's kind of won. <laughs> um, she hasn't got a Mercury music um, well, exactly. shortlist though, right? So, yeah. you know... <laughs> Swings around about. <laughs> but yeah, so that is, it has been really prominent. And I think if you're from Wales and if you're from post-industrial landscape anywhere in the UK, actually, um, you're quite, or, or, you know, a multicultural area or, you know, in a city area, you're going to be really aware of the struggles. I think that a lot of people have had. And I think there is a kind, I can kind of romanticize, I think about that 
in the 80s, you know, because I was just dragged along to, you know... Well, like demos anti- and stuff. Oh, so many. It was ridiculous. Anti-apartheid, de- you know, demos and all of that stuff. And obviously Red Wedge would have been quite integrated with a lot of what the punk bands in Wales were doing as well. Um, it's part of the fabric. And I think, the, I think because especially when I think about my mum's choir during that period, you know, there was a lot of... They'd, they, they basically just sang the sort of socialist hits. So they'd sing a lot of South African songs. They'd sing a lot of... Yeah, because obviously the minor strike was, you know, it was sort of the tail end of that that I, I can remember because obviously mm. it was 84. And it was just, it, it felt like there was a real celebration. And, and a lot of the women from Greenham would have been tied in with what the choir were doing and were members of the choir as well. So, it, yeah, it was just this hotbed and, I, and it felt like there was a common thread between all of the activism that was going on. And I think the world is quite different now. And I think because the, the, the world, the only world that we had was a physical one, um, it meant that people were, were very much getting together all the time in person and discussing their different issues. And I think that the movements of people... And I don't think you need to put it on a spectrum of left or right, you know, or whatever. It's about the importance of people was really prominent and felt very, very strong. And I, you know, obviously it's a period of post-industrialization where people still remember the collective. So I, I definitely, and it's easy to romanticize that because obviously, you know, there was a lot wrong with it, but I, I do just vividly remember as a child how many different voices there were. And the people, particularly around my mum's choir in South Wales, they weren't all the same person there were so many people from different walks of life but they all had a common goal really and it was human rights and it was bettering everyone's position so yeah i can feel quite nostalgic and romantic about that i think in a world where things have changed so much yeah, of course, absolutely. Now, this is the Paul Weller fan podcast, and we'll dig into your um, your story and your links with Mr. Weller, which actually, from my understanding, from um, my introduction to you, was through that first album, and actually through him. I guess there are two questions. So, one, when did you first become aware of Paul and his music? Because you weren't brought up on the Jam and the Style Council for the reasons we just talked about, right? And then, when did you discover that Paul was into your stuff? Well, I think... Obviously, Paul's music is just, it's part of the air, isn't it? For us all, in a way. I mean, it's, it's incredible, really, that the achievement of that, that it's just part of everyday life. But I think Paul's work became more prominent for me when I was living in Brighton. And there was a lot, I mean, his influence was really, really strong there, um, on a lot of the music that was being made, really, and, and certainly had parallels with it as well. And then I read it, or he, he may have told Jeff, actually, from Heavenly Runs Heavenly, because they're, they're good friends, you know, that he'd really, really liked our records, which was amazing because Shreese is a massive fan of the Style Council as well. And obviously, we're huge fans of the fact that his evolution as an artist as well, you know, it's the fact that he has changed and he has developed and he's evolved while still making amazing pop songs, which is, feels like the ultimately what what the goal is, um, and still is, you know, is making those classic songs. So yeah, it's sort of, it's sort of gradually grown. And then we've been in touch and he's been so supportive and, you know, we've just been, you know, texting or whatever. And I remember he was down in Cornwall. I think it was your last year the year before and you say oh how do you say thank you or like good good night good evening in cornish so it's, yeah. it's just these so like, he's dropping back little voice notes or sending it phonetically yeah, yeah. and it's just like amazing um interest and sensitivity to other artists because you know we're just like you know 
<laughs> small artists back in Cardiff doing that, making our records at home and the fact that somebody so influential really has taken an interest and supported us is amazing. And I think those relationships are really, really important, I think, to artists because you're always looking up to someone. You're like, you, you need that guidance in a way. And I think when you get that reassurance from someone who, who you really respect, it gives you a lot of confidence and it's it's very reassuring. She's like, oh, maybe it's okay. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, yeah, just, yeah. it's a huge, huge thing. Yeah. So yeah, we've been really um, grateful and we'd love to, you know, we talk, we talk about, I was like, oh, it'd be really nice. I really enjoyed um, remix simple songs and it would be really lovely to try and collaborate in some way. Cause I think, I think like you said, you know, I think that we do have things in common from a philosophical point of view as well. Yeah. Um, so, it, yeah, it would be great to collaborate, I think. Okay, well, we'll talk about some of these connections, these memories, because you're right, that mention in a magazine must mean so much. I mean, I, yeah. uh, there, was a, there was a photo of Paul rehearsing yesterday for the upcoming tour, and he's got a podcast mug in the, in front of him. <laughs> and that alone, to me, was just like, oh, my God, oh, my God, it's, yeah. it's going to happen. You know, I mean, that that stamp of approval, I guess, is such such an important thing, because it introduces you to a, to a wider audience, obviously. He's like oh, an, old, an influencer. Oh, absolutely. It's, and it does so much, and, it is, and I think that... Yeah, because you do trust voices that have created amazing work themselves, don't you? So the fact that they say, "Oh, well, listen to this," then you do you do realize how many people are going to go, "Yeah, right then," and think, "Oh, well, if you know, well, well, let's say this, all right, there must be something in it," you know. <laughs> now you mentioned the pipettes, and I wanted to talk to you. So you joined in two thousand and five. I did um, via. An amazing detour to Vegas, which we should come back to in a bit. Not, not least because my grandparents, bless them, who are no longer with us, but would never forgive me if I didn't ask you about the Michael Flatley stories. But oh, okay, <laughs> you actually played on the bill with Weller a couple of festivals on that, I didn't, and on the, one of them was the Pyramid Stage at Glastonbury. Admittedly, like different ends of the day and all that. Very different ends. Yeah, really. yeah. I don't know. I don't know if you stuck around and saw his performance, or if you remember that at all. Gosh, I don't remember much from that Glastonbury apart from oh, I need to go on stage, and I've been here all weekend. That was, you know, apart from that and then thinking, I'm just never going to camp at a festival again when I need to play ever again. I mean, it's a bit different when you're in your 20s because you're like, oh, whatever. You just roll out of bed, don't yeah. you? But yeah, no, I don't think I did. I'm trying to think. Let me tell you the lineup. I mean, the lineup was incredible for Glastonbury. So we had C6 Steve on the I same I remember base, him. You know? Yeah, because yeah. he was, because we met him in Oslo before he put a record out. And he was there with his old car and his eight track tapes in the car. I just remember, yeah, I mean, he, su- he supported the Pipettes in Oslo. That's how we met him first. Oh, wicked. That's yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, funny enough, he's just come up on the podcast recently for that later with Jules Holland performance on Hootsalani. Yeah. And um, how incredible that was. But people like Lily Allen were on yeah. the Paolo Nutini, the Kooks, the Killers, Dirty Pretty Things. And then, yeah, the pipettes. And then also there was another one actually just before that, which was um, the previous year was um, V Festival. You were on the same bill as... I like, do know. Ray- I vaguely remember being backstage when Paul was there. I do vaguely remember because we'd always go, oh my God, look who's there. <laughs> there was a lot of that going on with us because we were like, oh my God, what are we doing here? Look at those people. <laughs> yeah. And I do remember us going, oh my God, it's Paul Weller. <laughs> now I'm going to fast forward to the solo stuff, right? Yeah. So, um and I'd like you, as we go through, to correct my pronunciation so I can, okay. we, can te- we can teach this as a bit of education as well, so I can learn something and I'll, I'll do some practice. But let's talk about this. So the debut solo album, this is October 2014, this was out. I'm going to say, Art Dired Olav. Really? It's Erdiz Olav. Okay. Not bad. Which means the last day. Yeah, yeah last the final day, the last day, the final okay. day, yeah. And... 
Uncut magazine. I don't know. You, I don't. You might not remember this. Was um, when was this? It was, it was January 2016, and you were interviewed actually right at the front of it. You were interviewed by a chap called Tom Pinnock. Um, so you might well have read, read this issue. I don't know if you like reading your own stuff. Can we follow dreads? You know what did I say and all that? But oh no, and, sometimes I do. I don't read it straight away, but I do read it after because I can't <laughs> read it straight away because I'm like, oh my god, did I say something wrong? Uh, so this would have been released actually. Thinking about it, it'd been released around Christmas time because they come out a bit earlier, don't they? And there was a Weller mention in it, right? So there was an interview with him. He was on tour at the time, and it, and it said, and I'll read it to you, it said that the band had come off stage buzzing, there's no time to celebrate, after a quick change of clothes Weller hands over a CD to listen to and it was your first album Wow. And then he shouts farewell to the journalist. He disappears down the stairs. The band no. follow him. And that was it. And he was handing them out as albums that he like, oh, recommends and likes. Wow. That's amazing, isn't it? Isn't that cool? Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> God, thanks for sharing that. That's amazing. Yeah, really nice. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll send you the little link as well. So this yeah, album yeah, yeah. wins um, Welsh Music Prize, Welsh Album of the Year. So we'll talk about the differences in selecting the language. I don't know, you know, how you approach mm. that. This was a Welsh album. The other albums have been mostly Cornish. And this album, production techniques, you, you mentioned your husband. I'm guessing this is a collaboration between the two of you. But there were lots of field recordings on this. You're out and about in Cardiff at home there recording stuff, right? Yeah, and it, it was a record that came together over, I'm trying to think when we started working on it, it must have been... Yeah, no, it was about three years. We do take a while to make great, but it comes from that in the fact that we do collect a lot of field recordings that create that sort of sonic palette. And it was always about creating a landscape with the sound. We're trying to create worlds, I think, ultimately. And that record was inspired by uh, this sci-fi novel that, um, oh, I know wine who's a nuclear scientist wrote, um, a book called Adid Olav that was published in the 70s. It was written in 1968. And what it was about was godlike AI. And oh. yeah, it's a, <laughs> topical it's a, for now, right? Oh, no, honestly, years, I guess quite scared because I think that the conversation up until this, you know, quite recently in the press, really, I've been reading articles about it, has been very, very pro AI, pro developing technology, you know, and it's sort of you're a bit of a Luddite if you're not getting on there with algorithm and, and stuff. And, but I think the conversation that's happening now seems really like it's scarily close to what this book is about. Um, and it's something that he predicted in the sixties that was going to happen. Ultimately, we were going to be taken over by robot AI ro- overlords. And then that would be the end of that. And they'd sort of destroy everybody. <laughs> so it's quite, it's a very dystopian novel. And it's funny because I was, you know, I, the the reason I, I was drawn to the book and those themes was that Wales is often seen as a very romantic, you know, full of poets kind of place and this beautiful landscape. And actually, and I, you know, even in our um, national anthem, we say, you know, the land of bards and singers. And I've always felt that our scientists have been really, really important to the culture in general and to the, the evolution of thoughts as well in Wales and in, in the Welsh language as well. I always couldn't believe when I found this book because I was like, this is a, this is exactly what I was looking for. And, and oh, I know I did actually predict the future. And he, he also predicted a lot of things like how kids would learn because he, he sort of predicted the internet. There would be this tool on this machine that would give all the information so kids wouldn't need to actually remember all of this stuff. They could just use it as a tool for, for further De- developing their thoughts. So he, he's a really, really interesting character. I was kind of searching, having not sang in Welsh for about a decade, I was sort of searching for something exciting within the culture for me to sort of get back into it and not sort of rehash old tropes or just more of a sort of, um, yeah, kind of a 
Oh, what's the word? Sorry, I'm sp- I've spoken English for ages. Um, <laughs> like a research project, you know? Yeah, I love that. The fact that you're kind of discovering this, but then that's 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 the inspiration for an album. It coincided. It was I was searching for this thing. I think um, I was searching for ideas about the future from a technological point of view because that was kind of ha- all happening in beginning of the what do you call them? Like the twenty tens. Yeah, I don't know. Has it got a, has it got a name? I don't know if it has, is it? Yeah, <laughs> but that, that sounds crap. I know what you mean. Tens. Yeah, it was kind of everything was all, uh, it was everyone was sort of discussing that and thinking about futures and where did, where did technology fit in with it? Yeah. And then I made that record that was quite dystopian. And then so much has happened within music and people go, no, it's great. Let's like, you know, use technology to like, you know, people have created their own AIs and stuff like this. And I was, and I've always been like, I don't know about this. I don't know. I'm not sure. Now with this conversation, that's really interesting and, and, and scary of people going, yeah, well, what ultimately everyone is after that's in power right now is to create this godlike AI that's basically going to take over and make yeah. human beings completely redundant. And I'm like, oh my God. So, whoa, that is relevant. <laughs> You know, so I was <laughs> yeah. kind of searching for other because th- I think it's also with themes as well. It's about fi- finding the the human, you know, the humanity in it, and I think ultimately that is a very important influence on what I try to do. And it comes from my background, and you know, um, growing up is that people are really important. I really do believe in sort of human beings. I'm not that as interested in the detachment that technology creates as a facilitator for more communications and stronger bonds between people i think great but other than that i'm not i'm like (laughs) are you always looking for a theme for the album something to hook it around i think so i think that instinctively i do because it's what drives my need to try and express something as well but that can be a nothing as 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 well like you know i was trying not to with trezor i I think as you get older as well and and as an artist like we're going into fourth record now which is still not many but it's you get to quite a nice place with your fourth album is that you're on such a mission for the first few records because you're like trying to prove a point to yourself really and you're quite focused and like pushing 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 but i'm quite excited because i i always admire like i love all of leonard cohen's final records i think they're just amazing you know like i love i think even as a 20 year old i was like i can't wait to be like wise and old (laughs) you know just to be able to share that wisdom i think it's the wisdom that i really love in songs and i and i and obviously my age but i think definitely as i get older I'm, i'm searching for wisdom and answers from songwriters as well and you know some people hit it when they're so young and they can tell you know the whole truth but it's a journey as well for a lot of artists and songwriters that you get to but yeah that's the kind of point i want to reach it's like it's a song's a song and perhaps there isn't a theme perhaps the theme is just being a human being you know that yeah, we're like yeah, kind yeah. of quite interested in that as an idea as well having not done that that much i did it a bit with trezor just like his life you know there's a lot to be said about it. But I think it's different as well what type of artist that you are because I think probably I am some kind of conceptual artist and especially more now that the visuals are becoming part of what mm. I do. But nothing beats a good song telling you how it is. And that's, I'm not sure if I feel like I feel like I still need to write that song. You know? I like that. Yeah, keep pushing forward to what's oh, the next yeah. thing. All that. Yeah, yeah. Actually, when you're talking there, there are... There are three people who um, are connected with Paul that I wonder 
if you've discovered, and I was going to mention, so, because you love the, the electronica was, was this, you know, a big thing for you and that. So, so there are three people who have, um, two have been on the podcast. So Hannah Peel. Yes. Who, um, who, you know, Fur Wave and these amazing soundtracks and things. And there are similarities with, I think there are similarities with you and the three of the people I'm going to mention. Doss Allison. Who you must have loved from like one love and all that, right? I, I would guess, but she's she's back with Heart Shaped Scars, which is a fabulous LP. Yeah, um, and then a chap called Erlen Cooper, who again, I don't yeah. know if you've come across Erlen. Yeah, right? Hannah Nerland, I came across. I've come across, and it's funny with Hannah because I love Hannah's work, and we've never met. Have you not? <laughs> and I feel I, like we're in the similar circles in terms of like there's a lot of like cross pollination that happens, and we've. Never met. We've never been in the same place at the same time. So I, I really look forward to meeting her. And I think her work is brilliant and really, really interesting. And again, she's, she toys with concepts and does more of the electronic thing and does a lot of orchestral work, which is amazing. Yeah, like so many, our paths should have crossed because we've worked, we've yeah, I thought, worked I with thought so that many yeah. similar people, or the same people, you know, at different points. So yeah, like Para Orchestra, I sang with last year and obviously she's done a lot with the with yeah. Para Orchestra. So, yeah, all fantastic. So, yeah. Well, we need to I, make this happen. Hannah, if you're listening, yeah. let's, let's sort this out. Oh, okay? definitely. Yeah. I'm going to talk about your second album now. So this means in English, a place of memory. And this is Lakov. Yeah. I yes. learned my lesson, you see, because I thought, right, I've got to make this really, really easy to say. <laughs> <laughs> to pronounce. But this is Cornish rather than Welsh. And it's in Cornish because I think... I mean, I, I I put records out on Heavenly Recording. So we initially put a D-Dollar out on Pesky Records, which is uh, Reese's label, which is now defunct. Um, and which was a Welsh label that'd be going for a decade, put a lot, um, put Kate LeBond's early records out. Really good label. I was chuffed to be on it. And then Jeff picked a D-Dollar ever. And what was great about the whole experience with a D-Dollar and Heavenly was anything goes. Like Jeff's just like, all right, yeah, go then. <laughs> and you're like, nice. all right. Okay. So you and don't have so you, to compromise on anything. It's just. No, oh, no, right, not at it. all. Cause Jeff's very much, what's your idea? What's your idea? What do you, what do you want to do? And you're like, okay, well, you got to come up with an idea. Brilliant. Um, so that's the challenge in a way. And if it's a good enough idea and you can explain yourself, Jeff's like, yeah, great. You know, because it's, it's, if you can write a song, great. If you can make the music good, do what you want. So after that experience, I was so um, reassured because we we always had this thing. Was like, ah, oh, music's just music, you know. It doesn't really matter what language it's in. It really doesn't, does it? Because people love a tune. Like we all love a tune, don't we? It doesn't mm. really matter. And then that got me really excited. I was like, all right, okay. Well, if I've done a Welsh record, then I should just do a Cornish one because that's even more of a challenge. Because actually, there are over yeah, I can't, what's the? It's like five. There's over half a million Welsh speakers in the world, or something. Or maybe there's three quarters of a million, and there's like two hundred people that speak Cornish. I was like, <laughs> oh, amazing. And there's the challenge. Like, if, I was putting my, my money where my mouth is really going. Right, if you think music is music and language doesn't matter, then use a language that no one understands and see what happens. Just as a challenge. It's almost that kind of. Like a little bit of arrogancy there as well, isn't there? I'm just kind of like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm just going to do it. <laughs> well, it's like, it's not arrogance. It's, it's more like anarchy, I'd say. <laughs> because I think, I think a lot about that with, uh, with artists is that we are anarchists yeah. ultimately yeah. because what you do every time you make something, you've got to smash the thing you've made up and you've got to start again. Or otherwise you're in this weird static temple of your own self, which is like really disgusting. I think that was what it was to do with was going, okay, well, what's the biggest, kind of the biggest risk? that we could take and it's not risky you know people are doing very very risky things it's not particularly risky but it was the risk that was worth taking in our 
you know, it was like, do the thing that you shouldn't, that wouldn't be expected for you to do. That's where it was coming from, really. Nice. And, and see what happens. Cause I think also when you make stuff, whether it be music, whether it be, you know, art, film, you've got to make it not knowing what the outcome is and you've got to make it not knowing what the reaction is going to be either. And I think that's where things get really exciting because you're just throwing caution to the wind going, let's just try this thing. It ha- it's not there yet, but I wonder what will happen when it exists. And to say that it works, I mean, I mean, not obviously not everything is for a critic, but my goodness me, and you, you don't design these things and create these things for the critics, but people absolutely love this album. It got, you know, it was in, it was in every best ofs of the year, you know, the yeah. Guardian, Uncut, Mojo, and even Mr. Weller, little other connection, don't know again if you know this, he featured in his list, Uncut Magazine, his end of the year roundup, he featured it as one of his favorite albums. Yeah. Amazing. I remember that one and we were like, oh, amazing. Again, brilliant. <laughs> so yeah, it, yeah, and I think, but again, it's that thing. It's like if you can make, I think, making things that other artists like as well, it's really yeah, brilliant. you get buzz out, you know, because yeah. yeah, definitely, because I think some this yeah, not all stuff is made and other artists like it necessarily so when that does happen you're like oh amazing well there have been enough occasions where paul's given things an absolute slagging as well so you know he's exactly (laughs) this is it so yeah exactly so to be on the right side is a good thing yeah Yeah. i remember seeing at that time i remember seeing we talked later actually earlier on didn't we Uh, later with your solon at that time which would have been what your tv debut i would guess was it it was oh we loved every minute of it it was so brilliant because we do everything ourselves i tour tour manage myself we do all the records ourselves all of that so we're pretty hands-on and we really like being like that and i think for me the reason that i'm like that is because i've had few successes and a lot of failures so i kind of with music it's so up and down and one minute it's happening and the next minute it's not and i think the more control you have over what's happening the easier it is to cope with it with <laughs> with the sort of peaks and troughs of it i personally i think that from my my point of view but what was great was just the mechanics of the master sort of structure of later with Jules Holland because the program's been going on for so many decades how well an oiled machine yeah. it is yeah oh it's just gorgeous to walk into so not not just thinking oh here's my performance is you're walking you're walking into this environment where everyone is just like so on it and you're like oh my god this is just bliss because so much of music is absolute chaos <laughs> so when you want you know in terms of like gigs and all of that stuff it's like oh my god are we gonna get there on time and all of this stuff when you do walk into an, a working environment like that you're just like ah and relax and actually you can perform much better because there's you know everything's in its place you know and it's just you don't you've got nothing to worry about nice and on the lineup yeah. so the manix were on that lineup yeah. really great friends of yours now and you've yeah. been on each other's records and stuff and yeah. an artist called ray lamontana who i absolutely adore as well of course yeah he did a really quiet song as well didn't he His, um, yeah, was, it, voice. was it you're the best i'm trying to think what he sang at that but anyway yeah, yeah. he's fabulous and this is a song again let's see if i can do with the pronunciation this is this is the constant education folks tear har more i mean yeah. it's yeah it's obviously in the lyrics so it's a bit easier which means land and sea right yeah, that was the first song I wrote for Le Corve as a record, and it was a song I wrote about an artist called Peter Lanyon, who was an abstract landscape painter from St. Ives. And who, weirdly, because I came across his work, and I can't remember where I came across it. Oh, yeah, it was The Art of Cornwall. I don't know if you ever saw that series on BBC. It was really great. So I came across his work there and hadn't realised, actually, that my dad's a published poet and all of his 
published works have Peter Lanyon artworks on the cover. I just had a, it was oh, like wow. a big prop. So I hadn't realized and I was like, so that was really nice. What a nice but, connection. Yeah, it was a great connection. I hadn't realized was, was there because I just found Peter Lanyon very inspiring in the sense that he was very Cornish, you know, was very grounded in his culture and community, but was trying to create an abstract impression of what that was. And I think, again, you know, when it, when it comes to cultural identity, um, things can become quite rigid visually and philosophically and all of those things. And I think that it can become quite dangerous in terms of nationalism and things like that. But I think that when you have artists that keep pushing what the idea of the identity is in a very, very, and pushing it to abstraction, it gets really, really exciting because it allows for a lot of space for interpretation and for different ways of being within that culture as well. So that was really the starting point for Le Corbe was like, okay, what is it? Because I speak Cornish. I'm not Cornish. You know, I speak Cornish. It's not my fault. I speak Cornish. <laughs> so someone the other day said, um, oh, I thought you just learned it in lockdown. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> you know, I wish it was that like, easy for me just to go, oh, I've, I'm bored of it now. I'm just going to do something else. But yeah. it's part of me, you know, and it's this weird, like, it's this very, um, it's not weird. It's just a very unexpected part of me in a way. It's just like, I speak Cornish and that's that. And I've never lived there. And so Lakov really, I was, and then, you know, I wrote all of these songs because I had all of this stuff that I'd grown up digesting really in terms of ideas and identity, all of those things. And I was like, well, I can't base this record in Cornwall because I'm, I've never lived there. And so Lakov became this place that was a sunken city, like, um, there's Lioness, you know, I don't know if you know those. There's a lot of Celtic sunken cities, okay. um, around the coast of, um, Wales, Britain and, um, Brittany, that all these sunken cities that are, that have sunken because of sin, and then you know the water comes flooding in, and I really liked that as a concept. I thought, yeah, that's the city I live in, <laughs> speaking nice, Cornish nice. and imagining this other place. So it's not me in any way claiming here's a record about Cornwall in the 21st century. I was very conscious that that was something I could never ever do because. That's not my experience. You know, I live in Cardiff. But then for the third album, and again, every time you're building and you know, the audience is growing, the second album, you're suddenly touring the world. I mean, I bet you can't imagine that these things are connecting in the way that they are. But for the third album, you did go to Cornwall to start writing it, right? To St. Ives? It did. It's sort of in reaction to Le Corve in a way. Because okay. I was like, okay, then. Again, you know, this isn't a flight of fancy. This language is not something I can just drop because I stopped doing my Duolingo or whatever. So with that in mind, what would it be like for me to write a record in Cornwall? What happens then? And like the sort of quite isolated feeling, you know, this was January 2020. So there was rumours about some COVID. Yeah, thing. we hadn't locked down at that point, had we? Or no, yeah, even, even understood we, what was about to happen. No, really. we were like, I remember doing, we did a performance at the VFI and people were talking about this flu thing that was happening and we were all like yeah whatever <laughs> and then I went down to Cornwall and I stayed there for a week and I wrote a record um, so it became more personal and intimate then it was responding to not belonging there but then wanting to try and connect with it as well and St Ives in the winter is a very isolated place because obviously it's so full particularly in the town it's so full of holiday homes that there aren't as many people around, so you become really conscious and aware of that impact on Cornwall as well. But I was trying to tap into the atmosphere and I felt like I, I didn't want to attempt to say anything political. I wanted to say 
emotions and I felt like well if I created a record in Cornwall because I'm not even giving like with Trezor it's like I wasn't trying to do any gimmicks or like oh it's about this can you know it, it was just like oh these are songs and I they, they're feelings because actually I haven't learned this language it's a language I can really feel in like mm. very deeply you don't have to think about it no. at all right it's just no. ingrained within you yeah and then so that was it was like what would that does that translate like if I just make a record that just tries to be really intimate and really beautiful what does that do how does that turn out? So that was the idea with that one. And it sort of tied in. It was weird because I felt a need to slow down and the pandemic hadn't happened. It was odd because I was like, oh, I really want to slow down and be a bit quieter. And then the pandemic, I was like, all right, there we go. <laughs> You're a force. So I will. Yeah. yeah, there we are then. Yeah. yeah. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And we get to hear that album, obviously, in 2022. But in the meantime, 2020, so around that time of, of lockdown, um, we got the release of Paul Weller's On Sunset album. And, a, and you know, a, a remarkable album when, and interesting, actually, when you talked about Leonard Cohen, it made me think of Paul and, and the amount of albums he's releasing and this great work that's coming you know, towards the latter part of his career. Let's talk about it like that. Um, yeah. <laughs> and on Sunset, it was just a fabulous piece of work. But then mm. we then later on, a few months later, we, do, we get the remix EP, which I've got here. Here we are. And oh, what is it? Oh, yeah. Side A, track two, Old Father Time, when a remix. So how did this all come about? Were you when, when did you connect with Paul properly? When were you exchanging texts and things like that? Talk me through the story. Oh, of- it, was, it was during the pandemic, actually. I think he got that we were in touch. On, on text actually and then um you know what it was a, it was a real godsend that he asked me to do that remix because those things really kept me going during the pandemic because obviously you couldn't tour it was odd because it's for musicians it was like oh, okay it's delayed so you're very very used to things changing in music it's not like going to the same job every day it's like going to your job and saying oh this job's not going to happen today it's going to happen next month so you're used to that sort of mindset and the flexibility of that you know but 
it's obviously as it went on and on it's like oh, okay so this isn't happening at mm. all yeah doing that remix was a was really nourishing because it was a way of collaborating remotely i love 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 remixing people's work and it's because i think i'm such an introvert it's a really nice way of being able to to connect with other musicians without having to go in and jam in a room or whatever because i think yeah. It's quite an interesting. Yeah, the pressure of writing lyrics next to each other and all, all that. of that stuff, yeah. which I was just like, it takes me such a long time to get to know anybody. So it was just such a joy to do that. And I sort of reversed all the vocals because I think it was, I'm trying to think if it was the first, because I've done, a, I did a lot of remixes during the pandemic, but I think that was one of the first. So I was really trying to sort of pull things apart um, and just trying to bring more of the electronic element into the work. So, yeah, no, it was great. You know, I mean, I just really love it's like cooking, remixing, because what you do is you chop everything up, like you're chopping your onions and your carrots and your celery. (laughs) So you got your sofrito mix on the bottom. (laughs) And then you've got to think about which ingredients, what herbs and spices you want to add. And so, yeah, I find it very similar to cooking. And I really like it for that reason. It's like all the chopping up. I love I love chopping. In, in <laughs> so what does he send you in a uh, let's, let's keep with the cooking theme if it's like a hello fresh box is arriving what do you get in the in the email yeah exactly so i'm just saying the thing like the base of it is like i guess it is all the drums and bass and things because it's all those element guitar elements and i was yeah and we had back and forth as well and does he give you any type of brief of what he's after no no, no but all. he was responding then and it was really encouraging. It's just like, I think we went through, because a long time, it was like, how many years? Like three years ago now, isn't it? Um, we were just going through vocals, really, because I'd reversed all the vocals. I just liked that. So oh, I'd love to hear Paul Weller not singing in English, because that was my <laughs> ah. thing. That's why I kind of went for that. It's like, be interesting, because obviously he's got this, like, such a distinctive voice. That's what's another thing that's fantastic with remixes. You get to know people's voices. It's really nice because you're just constantly just listening to vocals. I just really, really enjoyed it. It was good fun. You also want to do something that's different, right? If it, and mm. I think that's what you've, I mean, you really have transformed that track. Cause I think with remixing for me, it's always about trying to get to the essence of a song, like something that may have been missed. So you're like, you're sort of reinterpretation of the same thing. So you're like, oh, what's the thing that really stands out and what's that you feel this song's about? And then you try and you're searching for that when you're remixing. That's what I do anyway, because I kind of, it's a way of getting to know a song because you, because it's all chopped, you know, you're getting stems. So you're really mm. getting to know a song and things that may not even be the main hook of a song, of the song originally. You think, ah, oh, yeah, but that bit, I feel like that bit was the bit for me that makes the song. So you sort of go after that and develop a new song around it almost. Because yeah. I still see them as songs, really, rather than remixes. You're looking at it and going, I really love the carrots. Let's have more of the carrots. Yeah. <laughs> Making more of a meal of that bit. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'd yeah. love to get those. But that comes over like a wee transfer with the stems and the different layered files and stuff. And suddenly you're unpicking it. It's just that's a joy in itself, let alone then rebuilding it, you know. Well, it takes me more time to pull it apart than it does to rebuild because I chop it up so finely. But it's only because I don't want to miss. I'm quite thorough with that. Like I do loads of chopping. <laughs> I'm very good at prep. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm a sous chef. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is all done at home? Because it must yeah. be lockdown, right? So yeah, yeah, we were at home. So it was really nice because it just made me feel part of the world. <laughs> yeah. At a point where I didn't really. And we were lucky 
We're very, I mean, everyone's had such a different pandemic. It's just, it's crazy, isn't it? It's like, there is like the before time and the after time. My son was four when the pandemic started and he can't really remember things before. Like he no, that's remember. the same as mine. Yeah, my my youngest is. is yeah, yeah, I just can't remember it. I mean, he, re- he remembers the pandemic, but he doesn't remember anything before it. Which is so much right. traveling. Like we took we took him everywhere with us touring because we, you know, there was no other way of doing it, and he doesn't remember anything. <laughs> I'm like, oh, the places he's been, he hasn't got a clue. I know. I guess I think, <laughs> oh, do you remember being in Berlin? He said, no. Oh. <laughs> so um, let's talk. Um, 2022. That that third album, Tresor. Pronunciation, right? Mm-hmm. This means treasure in Cornish, and it's mostly sung in, in Cornish, but there is a, um, a a Welsh song called Wales is Not For Sale, is the English translation. Uh, well, this is it with the record, you know, saying to you, the record, it's like, yeah, I'm going to make a very nice, quiet album. There's no singles on it, and it'll be lovely and intimate, just to see what that's like. I ultimately always want to write a pop song. I sort of get drawn to doing it, and I was like, oh, what if you don't do that? Like, try and write songs that aren't trying to do that. And then we sent the record to Heavenly. And this is the only time Jeff's intervened. Just like, um, I can't hear any singles, Gwen. What's going on? I was like, there are no singles, Jeff. This is how it is. <laughs> and he's like, well, that's, you know, come on. You can do a sing. Come on, give us a song. And then Trace and I were so furious that he had said that. <laughs> it's really funny. We were like, what? We were so furious that we wrote Wheels is Not For Sale. So I thought, oh, well, right. you know what? If you want a single, I'll give you a single. I'll give a very highly politicized single that probably won't appeal to anybody. And I'm really glad he did that because it was sort of, it was, it's that thing of like, you need the tension to come from somewhere. Mm. And I think that when you, again, you know, when you've been working with the label for such a long time, they know you, you know them. You can take offense, but you take it with a pinch of salt because ultimately like, it's probably right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think it's a really important creative relationship that with a label that you can have those kind of conversations with. Often you hear of that kind of friction that doesn't end in anybody being really happy with what they're ending up with. Yeah. And, I think, and I think Weller's gone through that with the Style Council and even the Jam when he delivered all my cons and it got rejected or whatever. That, but when it works, and that, that is, that's a collaboration again, isn't it? When it works, it, it adds to the album, it adds to the experience all around. It does. And I think, because yeah, I remember, I think we delivered the song and Jeff's like, yeah, great. Okay, move on. You know, he didn't even say, oh, that's amazing. <laughs> he didn't, you know, he didn't even say that. He's just like, yep, thank you. Yeah, done. And it's a good story because I like it. You know, it's like you sort of deliver one thing. And I don't know. I mean, both of us, we're open to all of that. I much prefer someone say, well, that's a bit rubbish. <laughs> you know, I'd rather <laughs> yeah. someone was honest with me than just go, oh, yeah, that's great. You know, it's even things like, you know, probably you learn the most from the criticisms that you get, you know, as a musician and not necessarily, there are some criticisms where you think, well, actually that's not very well grounded and you actually don't know what you're talking about. But there are those, then you think, well, you've got a point. <laughs> actually, I'll bear that in mind. You know, you learn from, you, you learn from those reactions and you learn from, you know, especially if someone's saying it because they've considered what they're saying to you and they sort of know you. I mean, that's the thing. That's, again, you know, I've been on Heavily for such a long time now that you just kind of go, well, you do respect that point of view, really. And you can either respond to it. You know, if I didn't think that we could do with a with a song that was more like a single, I wouldn't have done it. I thought, oh, well, do you know what? I'll give it a go. It also shows the value of a label, I think, where obviously it's their job to get you to a, as wide an audience as they possibly this can, right? It, and, but, you yeah. know, and I was making an album. I was like, oh, here's, here's my album that I don't want anyone to hear. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, well, what's the point of that? Yeah. You know? So well, it was right. 
Well, look, thank you, Mr. VD. I mean, the remarkable reviews for this LP, huge across the board. Were there any duff ones? Were there any bad reviews that you're aware oh, of? I don't think. No. <laughs> was there probably. a one star anywhere? I didn't see it. If oh, I did, probably I mean, somewhere. Do you know, it's nothing as well. I, th- I think I read a lot of music writing and I really value music writing. I think it's really important. It's shaped a lot of, you know, I love reading about music. I love reading about, you know, it really, I want to know, like, what's the story? Why was this made? When was it made? Mm. Who are the these people. I love the story around music. So I think music rights and music critics are important. But I think it's always about like respecting the amount of work it takes to make something as well, you know, and like, and, and how you, I think there was, it's interesting. So I think perhaps like 10, 15 years ago, it was quite vicious and really bitchy and mean. Some music writing, perhaps on the internet, I don't know. And I feel like it has changed. I think. There's, there's more empathy to, you know, the person that's writing is probably not getting paid very much to do it. And the person that's making it certainly isn't. So like, let's just be a little bit more empathetic to each other and actually work out what the thing is that's wrong with this rather than, oh, this is rubbish. Get it in the bin kind of thing. That's there's also it. something that's still a little bit weird. I think this is the same true of, of film as well, where there's a, there's like a scoring mechanism. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. Being scored on work is, is a bit strange in that sense, I think. So, you know, it's about the, the reviews and the writer and how people are digging into what the albums mean to them and the songs mean to them is, is as much about, you know, less so the four or five stars, although that looks good on a poster, I suppose. That's um, it. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think maybe we don't need the stars and the numbers as much as we need the writing and the sort of trying to define what the work is about, which is, I just always find really interesting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and that's been fascinating reading, actually doing the research for this episode of the podcast as well, because I dug into lots more of the conversations you'd had about the album, learned more about the album and things like that, which is fascinating too. And obviously shortlisted for a Mercury Music Prize. Again, it's not all about the awards, but it's very nice when they come, because again, it introduces you to a wider audience. But for this one, I think I'm right in saying, is it the first Mercury Music Prize nomination or shortlist where it's not sung in English? Yeah. How nuts is that? Like, that's, I think I mean, that's bonkers. That's mad. What's it like? Thirty years, is it now? The Mercury yeah, Music Prize. It's just, it's just weird. I just find that strange. So we're like, we're super chuffed that we're the first, but kind of, it's yeah, kind of like nuts. also what the yeah, what the yeah. heck, how you know? Yeah, yeah it's odd because I think, yeah, it's really odd, but fantastic. You know, it was, yeah, it's just one of those things, isn't it? Really unexpected. Because um, Fiona, my manager, was calling me, calling me, calling me. I was like, oh, no, something really horrible's happened. Because I kept missing her calls. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> I was. I was like, oh, no, I've missed four. I've got four missed calls. This isn't good. It was a very, it was like a sigh of relief. And also, obviously, chuffed a bit. Couldn't quite believe it. Because it was, yeah, it was It was really, really unexpected. And, a, yeah, great experience. And because the thing is for us, you see, because like we're in Wales and you're like, obviously my label's in London and even like the heavenly community and the caught by the river community is really lovely. So I mean, I, cause I think when you go into something like the Mercury, you're, you're walking into something where there's like lots of different areas of the music industry are there rather than just indie, for example, cause it's like the bubble that I'm in. I really love being in it. And it's like. There's a lot of like-minded souls and it's a very, it's a way of life and all of that stuff. And then obviously when you're walking into something like that, there's just lots of different levels of commercialism and all of that stuff. So you're getting, and it's just something that I haven't been around for years really, because I just do my own thing and 
over there. <laughs> so yeah, it was just really interesting from a like sociology point of view, mm. I guess. Well, we also got the live performance on the TV, which was a, a, an absolute joy as well. Now, this album is in all the album of the year lists everywhere again, Enemy Mojo. Every time we're building and building and building in your bubble. But Mr. Weller again calls this album out in like a proper full article as well. And he says, um, I really love the album. This is her best so far. Um, she sings in Cornish and Welsh, so I've no idea what the lyrics are about, but the sound of the words, it's so beautiful and evocative. And I thought that was a really interesting point to bring up as well. And you've mentioned it. It's like, actually, it feels like it's less important for people to understand what the songs are saying because we don't speak Cornish or Welsh. But for him, it's actually all about the, the sound of it and the experience of it, yeah? Yeah, definitely. And obviously that fits in with what the music that we're trying to make. And yeah, it's fascinating. And because and, we made three albums now and they do feel like a trilogy. Because I, f- I feel like they're the trilogy of childhood. That's what it feels like to me. And I was going to call them a trilogy. And I thought, is that right? I don't know. That I, was yeah, like, yeah, no, I, don't, I think of them that way. Yeah. Because it's about exploring that identity that you're given without choice and working out what that is and where it fits in. I'm quite interested in looking at it as a trilogy of exploration. And I'm quite excited about the feeling I've got at the moment. It's like I'm sort of ready to walk out the front door because <laughs> I've obviously been in the house and it's been in my imagination and it's been about that other world, constant other world, which is a huge influence on my creative thinking that has always has been. It's always about being making, uh, being about making other worlds. So as you talk there, it feels like, is there a, a world for creativity outside of the music? I know you're doing more of the, the visual stuff and, you know, so much you mentioned video and things and there are, there's a, um, there's like a short film that goes with this album as well. But outside of that, in terms of literature and things like that, is that something you'd ever explore? Like writing a book? No. It's a lot of work, work, obviously, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I left school when I was 16, so I don't know. I've, I mean, I did a, I did do an online course during the pandemic because I, I left when I was 16 because I went to dance and then so I didn't do my A-levels. So I've done an AS course now because it was annoying me. I was like, I couldn't I couldn't even apply to go to university if I wanted to. And that was something that I thought about a lot in my 20s. I always felt slightly inadequate that I hadn't had a higher education because I was around a lot of people that had. But as I've grown older, I've sort of learned that I sort of learn myself anyway. And it was also a rejection because my parents are both academic mm. and we, yeah, it's like survival as well. I don't know. I always, because I was like, not a great school in terms of like, no, it's a big end. It's trouble all the time. But I always had a house full of books. I was really lucky. So I was kind of like, oh, I'll get my education from somewhere. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah, I'll be all right. <laughs> yeah, but it was obviously, it was a bit of a like gung-ho attitude. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's about evolving. I've also that, you know, that having had that experience of theatre and I did do a theatre production before the pandemic as well. It all ties in. I saw this great Laurie Anderson interview yesterday online and she's just like, don't restrict yourself. Like, because hmm. she calls herself, I think she calls herself a multimedia artist. Because she's like, well, if I'm a multimedia artist, it's so vague. Like, if I make an album and then all of a sudden I've done something else that's nothing to do with music, then people aren't going to question me. And I think as creative people that we are, you know, and we all are inevitably not restricting yourself too much to one thing. But also I think that's the thing with like language as well for me is like, just use everything you've got. In the toolbox, I was going to make myself a T-shirt like I am not a linguist, you know, because people assume that I'm a linguist, that I'm just I'm just obsessed with languages. It's like I'm really not. I literally I'm just using them to just get out of my system, <laughs> and just because it's just there and it just feels like the right thing. I just picked it up and gone. Oh, that's you know, I was I was in a English indie pop band. 
for yeah, yeah. however many years singing in English and we're quite happy about it. So it's not like, I think it's always about not um, restricting yourself creatively at all. And that's why I'm quite excited now because I've like, I've made three records and it feels like a really good time to think about a different direction. Cause oh, I feel wow. like I've done it. And also the goal, I think definitely the, the goal was to normalize the experience of having those languages because only because I've been such a huge fan of a lot of people that have made amazing music in, in Welsh and Cornish. And I just kind of wanted to share that and go, Oh yeah, you know, there's no, there's all this amazing music in Welsh and Cornish. You just perhaps haven't heard it, but it's kind of a normal thing. It's not a novelty. It's not a like, and it's nothing special about yeah, you're it. Not, you're, just, you're not a one off to it. Yeah. No, you know, it's nothing special. Yeah. It's just music and it's all part of the same fabric. That's why I've found so encouraging with that experience that I've had over the past decade is how, open people are like i've never had a sniff of like why are you singing in welsh why you singing? and i you know and i we play so many gigs in england across england and all we get is like super positive really interested there's no lack of connection from expressing your point of view because people relate to it from their point of view it's just that simple and music's just so amazing for that it's like the best tool in the box really because it's it's the one art form that everyone understands like without question and everyone can enjoy as well it's very magical <laughs> oh, no, totally because it's a, and it's that connection you're right it's like how this album means something to people who don't like you know when we listen we've we're in it you feel it i don't understand the words and i have looked them up because they're on your website as well you have the yeah. translation but in a way i'm like i don't need that actually um, That's not, you know well you don't uh, do because it's yours uh, and once it's out yeah. in the world it becomes something else yeah so yeah it's exciting thinking being able to make records for the rest of my life really and then, then being different things and getting better that's the other thing about music is that I just knew because I was a dance you know I was a dancer originally as a profession um, and I lasted about three years four years and what I loved about music and it was something I was drawn to straight away was, was I was just never going to get to the bottom of it like I would never, ever, yeah, ever, ever yeah. get to the bottom of it because yeah. there's so much music in the world. There's so many different ways of making it. It changes all the time in within different circumstances and communities. You never get to the bottom of it. And I said, like, oh, that's probably a good mission for life then. I'm never going to be able to go, oh, well, that's finished. I've, I've sort of yeah, done com- that. Then. Complete. Yeah. Game over. Done. Yeah. It's yeah. just not. It's yeah. just not like that. So I knew music was the one for me. And the other thing with music I find is that it draws people that don't fit into anywhere else to it and i think that and i think ultimately it's about the community that it creates around it because i think music is a lot for all of us that probably don't fit in anywhere else <laughs> yeah absolutely i get you totally i have to ask i said i would um so this the dance stuff was michael flatley in vegas right that's it this is lord of the dance feet of flames yeah so i did i, I auditioned when i was 15 in dublin and again you know because it's a bit of a tear away and I just happened to do Irish dancing because my dad speaks Irish and had a friend and I went there since I was five and we used to just go like to Splot which is there are a lot of there's an Irish community in Splot um, South Cardiff um, pay 50p every class every Friday <laughs> um, I just remember walking there in the rain and then competing and then got this job and then auditioned with Michael Flatley in Germany and then got sent to Las Vegas to do the lead part in um, the New York, New York Hotel when I was 17, I think. And then we did like, how many shows? We were to, uh, It was six days a week and it would be, I think there were like two or three matinees as well. Um, so it was pretty hardcore, kind of nuts because coming from Wales, like 
so green, so full of history and culture and all that stuff, and then going to the middle of a desert, which like <laughs> yeah. every building kept, kept, kept getting knocked down. And I remember re- going there. And I, I I remember reading them a Lonely Planet guide before I went. And so I had an image in my head of what Las Vegas was. And I, for some reason, I thought it was going to be a lot closer to what New York is. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> and then I just couldn't believe how empty it was. It's a really strange place. And I feel really, um, I've been thinking a lot about Las Vegas recently. Cause I, it's, it's funny. Cause when I tell people, Americans, oh, I lived in Las Vegas, they'd always say, Oh yeah, that's nothing like America. And that's kind of like, well. It's kind of like part of America yeah. and America. So, <laughs> yeah. di- you know, North America is so different. You know, the, the United States is just like every state is so different from the other, but it has had a, an influence on me. You know, as a 17 year old, just like when I started, mm. you know, listening to music really and get, getting into bands and, and not being able to see any bands because we were doing shows. Yeah. Becoming aware of Elvis, obviously. <laughs> of course. Convinced, Which actually, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I sort of was quite dismissive of Elvis when I lived in Las Vegas. And then as soon as I went home, I really, really got into Elvis. I love Elvis and I loved, really loved his Vegas period. I just love like the end of Elvis. Elvis, I love those shows are mental, aren't they? Oh, they're Absolutely. great. I just like brilliant, yeah. Oh, I just can't help believing it's one of my favorite Elvis yeah, shows. Yeah. Just like so saccharine and like over the top, and yeah, love. So yeah, it's funny. So I, it's definitely had a sort of delayed influence on me in a way you forget how huge that all was. Like off, this is off the back of River Dance, right? Mm. So and Michael Flatley, that whole show was. Massive. It was huge. They played the Oscars the year before I joined. They did the variety performance. It was of the moment for, yeah. you know, five. And that was weird because, you know, coming from a very Celtic, restricted, you know, culturally background and all of a sudden all the stuff that I got to do instead of ballet or whatever was the center of culture. Yeah, it was, proper, it was yeah. like, but then obviously I got excited then because when I lived in Las Vegas, all the Welsh bands started doing well, you know, like Furries and Catatonia and Mannix. And I was like, oh my God, Wales is the center of the earth. This is insane. <laughs> and actually that was quite integral to the reason why I was like, oh, do you know what? Music, like there's something happening and I, I don't know what, you know, I was just drawn to it. I didn't know, you know, how to be part of it or what to do or anything. I was just kind of like, oh, that's exciting. And it did make part of the reason why I wanted to come home really. I missed home, but also I was like, there's life here from, so, you know, especially coming from a place where your culture's never seen. All of a sudden it was. I was like, oh my God, it's part of the world. That's amazing. Love that. I love that. All from over the other side of the pond, seeing yeah. that back here. Brilliant. Yeah. Oh, wow. Hey, look, this has been so lovely hearing your stories. Honestly, uh, a fabulous well, thanks for experience. having me on. Thank so, you. yeah, yapping, uh, yapping along. Yeah. <laughs> no, honestly. And thank you for the music. I mean, the albums, thank the trilogy you. of albums has been an absolute delight. And look, we look forward to whatever comes next, as thank you say. You. That. Live performances this summer. So, we've got some yeah. festival dates already, like Latitude and Blue Dot and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, will there be uh, another tour soon of, of, of you? Or, I um, well, obviously, there's a lot s- going on with Parenthood again, all that. And, as yeah. Well. But it's always good to do it all together. I, I get quite energized by it. I love everything's together. It's like, you know, because for us, it's just like life, family, music. It's all part of the same yeah. thing. You know, it's not separate at all. But we're hoping this, I'm hoping to do something quite special towards the end of the year to sort of celebrate the three records. Um, it hasn't been announced yet, but I'm hoping to do something, which would be nice, I think, just to sort of tie up the year and whilst we're making our next record as well. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, we'll look out for that. That's really exciting. I do have two final questions for you before you yeah. go. So you're allowed one Paul Weller song for the rest of your life. Oh, it can be the, 
<laughs> it can oh, be the jam. The it can be the jam, the Star Council or solo. I mean, I'm aware that you probably don't, they probably aren't even any of the jam of the Star Council songs you know have been, been deprived. I mean, obviously the first one is Tank or Malice just because it was the girl group thing. I think it's just uh, that yeah. because it's, it's probably the song that I think of Brighton, I think of that song because it was everywhere and still, you know, it was everywhere even 2005. So, and it's a great beat. You know, it comes on and you're like, yeah. It's the hit, isn't it? It's it might not have got so many hits, but yeah, that's the one that that's my short term answer. I might come back to you on that one. I'll have to email you or something. All right, okay. Let <laughs> so me that's know. the we one can... that's come to yeah. my head because obviously that's the one that is the most familiar to me just because of the Brighton connection, I think. Because I when I think of Brighton, I think of Paul Weller. And it's just the mod thing. So yeah. Um, and then final question. So the purpose of this podcast, I don't know if you know, I can't remember if I've explained this. So the purpose of this podcast. So I used to be a radio presenter. I gave up being a radio presenter. And my one big regret was never getting to interview Paul Weller. So during lockdown, you know, we, we all had nothing to do. I created a podcast. We're now three years. This is year number three. But the whole point of creating the podcast was to get an interview with Paul Weller. That was you know, just to tick that box. So as much as I love hearing your stories and we've dug into your memories and talked about your music and all that, the end goal is to get the interview with Mr. Weller, okay? Amazing. So if oh my God, ha- that's such, you, you're making such an effort. That's brilliant. That's <laughs> amazing. Back, so, back in the day, journalists just used to be able to ring up his family home and they'd get an interview. But I mean, we're having to put in the, the work now. We're on episode 140 plus, you know. That's amazing. <laughs> but would you stop the podcast if you got your interview? Yeah, I haven't thought of a series two idea. So, um, so yeah, it finishes. Maybe that's at that why point. he's not going to do an interview. Cause you think, <laughs> this is a, I'm really enjoying this podcast. I don't want to stop the man. If it happens and I get to interview him, what would you like to know? What would you, what would you think? I Oh, that's a good question. That's a really good question. What would I like to ask him? Oh, would he ever sing in another language? Because obviously I've tried to make him sing in another language by reversing all his vocals. <laughs> but I would like to ask him, would he be up for singing in a, would he ever be up for singing a song in Welsh for me? That's nice. He's done a little bit of French on a bit of style council stuff, hasn't he? But, oh, there we go. He's done but, a but like a proper, but not proper... a minority Celtic language. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. That's my niche. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Hey, look, this has been so lovely. I really enjoyed chatting with you. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thanks so much. My thanks once again to Gwenar Saunders. What a guest and incredible talent. And do check out that trilogy of albums that we talked about. All the details in the show notes for this podcast. Just go to my website, paulwellerfanpodcast.com. Loads of videos, links to the music on there as well. And whilst you're there, don't forget to head into my store. You can get yourself some official podcast merchandise from mugs to T-shirts and much more. Plus, you can buy a virtual coffee if you'd like to do that as well. Thank you so much to you if you've got involved. Hello to Richard Hawthorne. Thank you, Richard. Much appreciated to you for your generosity. He says, I've just found your podcast and I'm starting my journey. I love it. Just finished Alan McGee. Amazing what he did with his church. Got you some backdated brews now. I'm 10% of the way in. Any plans to get Steve White on? If I get a shout out, I will get to hear it eventually. (laughs) Brilliant. Richard, thank you. Welcome to the podcast. And yes, we'd love Whitey on, obviously. Hello to Ian Hamilton. Thank you to you for your virtual coffee. Hello, Grant. Thanks to you, sir. Hello to Duncan. Hi, Ian. Hello, Sean Wilson. Thank you to you for your virtual coffee. Hello to Rich Gill. Peter E has got in touch and bought a virtual coffee as well. As has Martin Bonhom. Mike C. Hello also to Vinyl Soul says, Grace every week, Dan. Keep up the great work. 
Well, thank you to you, Vinyl Soul, and love your artwork as well. Hello to Simon Castledge, Martin Glover, James Headley, who says, Sarah Jane Morris, wow, what a find. Like most of your podcasts, makes me search or listen to albums of Paul Weller or new material. Was there since 77, and I'm betting the best interview is going to be yours. No fucking doubt. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you, James. Much appreciated. If you want to get involved, head to my website, paulwellerfanpodcast.com. You can also get in touch on Twitter, at WellerFanPod, or on Instagram and Facebook. Facebook, you'll find me by searching Paul Weller Fan Podcast. And on the next episode of the podcast, we're there. Episode 150. I can say no more, but you are going to want to join for this one. Make sure you follow, you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple, anywhere in the podcast universe, you will find this. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.